All right. What will the end times be like? Should we lean more towards one belief than the other? Okay, so we've gone from prophecy to um, eschatology is the word. Eschatology means the doctrine of last things. So how should we understand last things? Now, do you remember a few weeks ago how I talked about um, the whole theological triage principle? Do y'all remember that? How it's important in the Christian life that, that we have the ability to do doctrinal triage, meaning that we have the ability to look at different theological issues and decide, is this a first order issue? Meaning, is, is this an issue that is fundamental to Christianity? Is, is this an issue that is essential for salvation? Or is this a second order issue? Second order theological issues are important issues but not fundamental salvation issues. So for instance, most of the issues that divide different denominations and different churches are second order doctrinal issues. Or is this a third order issue? A third order issue would be some minor disagreement where we sort of agree to disagree. Maybe a good way to think about it would be um, first order issues, if someone disagrees with a first order issue, they are in another faith. If someone disagrees on a second order issue, they're likely in another church. If someone disagrees on a third order issue, it's generally a minor disagreement. Okay, all that to say. So when we talk about the doctrine of last things, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a first order, a second order, or a third order issue? What do you think? Two and a half from Justin. Anybody else? Third, Trace. Second. Anybody else? Second. Um, my answer would be it depends on what you're talking about with last things. Because there are, there are some elements when it comes to what we believe about last things that you could argue are first order issues. And most, most orthodox doctrinal statements make this clear. Okay, so, so most orthodox doctrinal statements don't get into the weeds about last things, but they are very clear on what, what you have to believe to be a historical orth... Somebody's trying to call me in the middle of the service. Um, but they are clear about what you have to believe. So I'll just give you an example. This is what our statement of faith says. This is the Baptist faith and message on last things. It says, God, in his own time and in his own way, will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. Okay, so, so you see our doctrinal statement, it says, here are some parameters on what we believe as Christians. And just about every historical statement of faith says something like this. So, so the New Hampshire Baptist Confession, um, the London Baptist Confession, the Westminster Confession, all say something similar about about last things. So what I want you to get is that what, what you have to believe, this is part of historical Orthodox Christianity, 
is that Jesus is going to personally and visibly return to this earth. You get that? Jesus is going to personally and visibly return to this earth. That is not a third-tier doctrinal issue. I would argue that's not a second-tier doctrinal issue. That is a first-tier. If you don't believe that, you are outside of the parameters of historic Christian faith. Jesus is going to personally, visibly return. Okay, that theme gets echoed in just about every single book in the New Testament. Listen to, I'll give you five or six examples. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Acts 1, 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as Jesus went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we're children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Then at the end of Revelation, Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, surely this is Christ, surely I am coming quickly. And Revelation ends basically on these words, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. And we could read dozens of more examples. Okay, so the Bible is clear, Jesus is going to really visibly, personally return to this earth. In fact, that, that's held up as our great hope as Christians. Here's the way Paul says it in Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we live looking toward. One day, our great God and Savior, Jesus, is going to appear. In fact, Paul, uh, John mentions that as, as something that should motivate us to pursue purity. I read the end of verse 2 earlier. We know that when he, that's Jesus, when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see what he's saying? This hope, this hope that Jesus, this hope that Jesus is going to return and we're going to see him is what motivates us to pursue purity. Okay, so what in the world? So it, it's motivating us to pursue purity. All right, so Jesus is going to physically, bodily return. Okay, that's, that's something that's made crystal clear. There, there have been groups, in fact, this is, this is what theologi one of the things the theological liberals said um, in the last half of the 20th century in mainstream evangelical denominations is they would say, well, Jesus is coming back, but he's not coming back bodily. He's coming back spiritually. In fact, he's already here with us spiritually. But that's not what those passages say. Jesus, the, the angels in Acts 1 said, just like you see him going up, that's the way that he's one day going to come back. And not only is he going to bodily return, there's going to be a resurrection of our bodies. 
And there's going to be a final judgment. And those who have rejected Jesus will face eternal wrath in hell. And those who have trusted in Jesus will, will get eternity with God in heaven. And I would argue that just about everything I said just then is a borderline first-tier issue. Not, not meaning you have to understand all that to be a Christian, but if you reject any of that, you have stepped outside the boundaries of historical Orthodox Christianity. So that's the main thing. So I asked that earlier just to emphasize, there are some ex eschatological issues that are first-tier sort of issues. Then underneath that, there are lots and lots of different questions that Christians disagree on. And I struggled this week on how, how much time I wanted to get in to spend on this. And I didn't want it to turn into a, a mini eschatology conference. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the, the three main views that Christians have had about end times. Okay, this dates